Well, hey, everybody, Mike Griffith here. Welcome to tonight's, today's Ingles on the Beat, and obviously a tremendous football game for us to talk about. I, you know, the Georgia-Clemson game, I know Kirby Smart and his players, you know, they want to put it behind him, they want to move on, but, I mean, that's hard to do after seven months of buildup. You know, you start thinking about it, and bowl games are big, and a lot of times I think fans, sometimes media, you know, we try to encapsulate the season based on the bowl game. Well, the bowl game just, you know, put an end or put a cap or, you know, and here's the thing. It really doesn't. It really doesn't. And I didn't really understand that. I've been covering college football a long time, but I didn't really understand that till about seven or eight years ago. And I was talking to a guy by the name of Jim Bowman that used to be the offense coordinator at Ohio State and then was at Michigan State. And I had asked Jim, I said, hey, what is it about Ohio State? Why can't they win these, you know, beat the SEC in bowl games, whatever, yada, yada. He said, listen, he said, it's nothing to do with the SEC or the Big Ten. He said, bowl games are a season unto themselves, right? Because you got a lot of guys getting ready to leave. You got a lot of guys getting ready for the NFL draft. You know, sometimes coach want to play some, some guys for the next season. So bowl game isn't really a great determining factor of which conference or which team or whatever, because everybody kind of has their own agenda and it changes from year to year. And we've seen that with Georgia, right? We saw a disappointed, despondent Georgia team that was upset. They got left out of the playoff, not really show up against Texas, got beat in the trenches, got beat bad. And then the next year, you know, they've got something to prove with 12 guys missing and they go out there and beat a top 10 Baylor, right? Then last year, they got five guys that are opted out or not playing five starters and they're playing a Cincinnati team that's trying to make history and claim a national title. And they got a dogfight until the final seconds. So, but this game, down it back to this game, this is the beginning of a season. This is far bigger and more important than any non-college football playoff postseason game. Not even close. Seven months of buildup. Let's face it, George's identity, Kirby Smart's legitimacy was on the line Saturday night in Charlotte. And we're not making too big of a deal out of it. It was that big of a deal, okay? It was probably one of the top two or three most watched opening games in college football history. The numbers are still being out right now, but I think I saw a projection that it was second. I mean, that's amazing. Think about that. That was an advertisement for the Georgia brand, not just the football team, the program, the university, the fans, for four hours or three and a half or four hours they were talking about Georgia. So what I took from that, I listened to, I watched three broadcasts. Kirk Herbstreet's got a song, Clemson's team. I, I love Kirk Herbstreet, but I think you could tell he was hoping Clemson was going to win. I mean, I, I hate to say that because I think he is a true pro. And people always talk about, oh, he went to Ohio State. Listen, you don't care. When it's family, it's hard not to care. So I'm giving him a pat. I didn't think it was overt. I didn't think it was bad. But I noticed a couple of little times in there where it felt like you could you could hear Herbstreet. You know, just kind of edging, thinking. And I think some a lot of people thought, oh, well, you know, Dabble's going to do it. I mean, they've won 10 straight, you know. But this Georgia team was so determined, and they turned Clemson back so many times. I was so impressed. I, I do think this is one of Kirby Smart's best wins at Georgia. Arguably his best win. Not his biggest, but arguably his best because of just how many players – we're missing. I mean, the, the receiving core, you had one guy out there in that receiving car, receiving core that had caught more than 10 passes at Georgia last year. Just one, Jermaine Burton. And at that, we find out today that Jermaine only practiced like 10 or 15 times out of 
45 practices in the spring and the fall. So to me, that's that's pretty fascinating. Um, you know that uh, that that team was missing so many players. Tyke Smith, you, you know, you're you're down at the star position. He's not in there. Latavius Brini steps up. I, I want to dial it back to something that Kirby Smart said going in, and then even afterward, he talked about resiliency and composure. And I want you to think back to the game. And yes, Christopher Smith's 74 yard interception return. That's the oil painting moment. That's the play we're all going to remember. That's the play we're all going to talk about. You heard Dabo Sweeney say it came down to one play. You know, they made that play. We didn't. You know, he's right in the sense that Georgia actually lost the turnover battle. That was Clemson's only turnover, but it was a big one. Georgia had two turnovers and could have easily had three if Zamir White hadn't fallen on his own fumble. Another one, Zamir fumbled and the whistle blew on a penalty, got lucky. You know, Georgia made some mistakes in that game. But I want to go back to the resiliency and composure that Kirby Smart was talking about. And it, it, I know it sounds like coach speak, but the truth is, is that championship teams have that quality. They have that ability to respond when things don't go their way or to stay cool and poised, as he said, you know, when the momentum's on the line. Let's start with the first time uh, that happened in the second quarter with the botched punt return. Georgia had dominated the field position throughout the first half. They were living in Clemson territory. It was unbelievable. You're thinking to yourself, how are they not winning by more? It's How have they not scored at zero to zero? And you feel like Georgia's winning this game on the field, but they just keep bogging down. They just keep making mistakes, failure to execute. And then all of a sudden, the field position shifts because of a rugby punt and Kendall Milton gets blocked in a strange direction and the ball bounces up and, and grazes his foot and Clemson recovers. Listen, that could have easily been a turning point in the game. Instead, two or three plays later, Christopher Smith makes that pick six. And, and let me give you some insight to that pick six. It wasn't just, you know, Dabo said that the quarterback made a bad, you know, a bad, you know, or the receiver made a bad read. He, he didn't want to, you know, put TG, DJ uh, Ukulele under the bus. But here's what happened. Georgia knew the quote-unquote hot route, right? So Latavius Breeny, if you go back and watch the preview, he's standing up at the edge looking like he's going to blitz. And Justin Ross, the receiver, is lined up wide, and he runs a slant route into the area where he thinks Breeny is vacating, okay? Christopher Smith knows that that's one of the options that they're going to run when they see a blitz coming. The other option would have been for Justin Ross to do to just turn around and catch it and run because there was a big cushion. But Justin Ross is thinking big play. He's thinking he's going to catch a slant on the run in that vacated position, turn it upfield, and break a big play. Doesn't recognize that Georgia is baiting him. Christopher Smith, as soon as he sees Ross take off, he sprints to where he knows that pass is going to be. DJU doesn't see it, and it's six the other way. That is scouting. That is execution. That is playmaking. Okay. That is coaching. All right. That was coaching 101. Dan Lanning and Georgia knew the hot route on that play from scouting. And Smith saw it and knew it before it happened that, that, that the receiver was either going to sit or that he was going to run a slant. Now, now Dabo said two things. One, he said, well, he ran the wrong route. But if you're going to run the slant, you've got to run through the catch and take on that collision. And Ross didn't do that. And that was because Smith just got there so fast and so aggressive. 
So that that's responding, right? You take a moment where it looks like, oh my gosh, Clemson's going to flip field position. They're driving in Georgia territory. Looks like you know all you know the whole first quarter and a half is going up in smoke because it's a zero-zero game, and Clemson's going to be. And all of a sudden, Smith makes a play. So that was one. That was the resiliency response, right? Then there was another resiliency response. Uh, you know, JT Daniels, you know, with with an interception in the uh, fourth quarter. Now JT played a really clean game for the most part. Uh, you only had one sack. And let me tell you, that was a big part of the game plan. Kirby talked about that today. I talked about it with you last week that both of these teams wanted to get out of there with their quarterbacks upright. Georgia was serious about it. They wanted to avoid long down and distance, stay ahead of the change so they could have balance and avoid JT getting sacked. And Clemson had a player, Spectre, the linebacker, did a really nice job of baiting JT. It looks to JT like Spectre is going to cover Brock Bowers, but at the last minute, he drifts off Bowers and steps in front of an out route and makes a, a diving interception. And now all of a sudden, Clemson's got the ball to Georgia 33. Now, Georgia's winning, but you're thinking to yourself, oh, my gosh, here comes Clemson. Nope. Defense response pushes Clemson back nine yards, back-to-back sacks by Jalen Carter and Adam Anderson, and suddenly Clemson's out of field goal range. The defense simply was not going to be denied. You know, one more big moment for Clemson, right? They're down 10-0, to zero, uh, and all of a sudden they got a third and nine, and DJU uh, hits a downfield pass 44 yards, beats Darian Kendrick. You know, the new Georgia cornerback, probably the best Georgia cornerback that you've got, gets beat on a 44-yard gain. They move the ball inside the 10. They're at the five-yard line, and Georgia faces forces three straight incompletions. Latavius Brini with a PBU in the end zone. Clemson has to set up for a field goal. It's a 10-3 game, and that just didn't generate enough. It was a win for Georgia to hold them to the field goal. So, you know, those were three moments where I thought Georgia really responded uh, on plays that could have easily changed the face of the game. But Georgia responds, and they hold. You know, I was sitting next to somebody in the press box late in the game. It's fourth and five, and Georgia's in, excuse me, Clemson's in Georgia territory, and Clemson's going for it. And the person next to me says, well, that's what great teams do right there. Great teams go for those. And, and then Georgia stopped him, and I said, greater teams stop them, right? So be careful what you wish. Everybody wants Kirby Smart to be more of a – sometimes the gamble doesn't work. And then what happens? Georgia runs out the clock the last four and a half minutes, powering the football. So dialing it back further, when we talk about what went wrong with the offense, okay? So JT Daniels, fantastic interview. Isn't it great to have a quarterback that just tells it like it is? Like JT doesn't apologize. He just going to tell you, you know, Jake Fromm was was so polite and, and and said all the right things. But sometimes you felt with Jake like there was more to the story and he just wasn't going to go there. Right. He wasn't going to go into the details with you. JT talks details. He talks three buzz coverage. And if you understand football, you get it. And if you don't, then research it. That's your problem. But he's not going to hold anything back. And he said, you know what? Clemson did some things we didn't expect. And brilliant planning from Venables, the Clemson defensive coordinator. Listen, Clemson, one of the best coaching staffs in the country, maybe the best coaching staff in the country. These guys are very good at in-game adjustments and game planning. They completely crossed Georgia up. Georgia, as anyone would anticipate that Clemson is going to be bringing tons of pressure, blitzing, playing man-to-man coverage. That's what you think. And so that's what you game plan for. 
So you prepare and you practice routes ad nauseum that are good against man coverage, you know, quick game, ways to neutralize blitz. And then all of a sudden you show up and, and Clemson doesn't do that at all. They drop eight. And yet their three-man front is so good that they're still able to get a little bit of pressure even without blitzing. So it was a gamble by Clemson. It was brilliant. And JT goes to the line. It's disguised coverages. Venable's showing JT what JT thinks he's going to see, but then it turns out to be something else. So some really great game planning from Clemson. Georgia had to adjust as the game went on. In hindsight, you look at what Georgia did. They probably should have run the ball more. As it was, it looked like a lot of those runs were checks from JT. You know, and you can kind of tell when he's checking. So JT saw a lot of that and audible to some of those runs. I thought that was effective. But Georgia's receivers just weren't good. There's no other way to say it. There's no other way to camouflage it. I, I know some Georgia fans get upset when I say things like that. But look, man. You had two receivers that caught two passes for 12 yards, and those were your leading receivers. And Ladd McConkey and Marcus Rosemey Jack Saint, two catches, 12 yards. That was the best you could do against zone coverage with a quarterback like JT Daniels. I mean, that's not good. Jermaine Burton, two catches for 11 yards. Listen, he flopped. You know, there's no other way to say it. Now, Kirby says, well, you know, he hadn't practiced very much. Okay, well, he's out there, coach. And, and, and Kirby will own it. You know, he knows Jermaine's got to get better. But so far, Jermaine Burton has been very injury prone. I mean, if this guy really missed 30 to 35 out of 45 practices in the spring and the fall, what the heck? I mean, at some point, you know, that's a lot. And you, you really got to hope uh, that Jermaine Burton steps it up. So far, he's had one great game. Other than that, not a whole lot. I mean, he had one special night against Mississippi State against man coverage. That's it. You know, so far, he has not lived up to the hype. I'm sorry, he hasn't. One big game in two years for a guy with that much hype. If that's your go-to guy, I don't think that Georgia's got a good enough receiving core to win a national championship if Jermaine Burton plays like that all year. He's got to get better. He's got to get better. Now, on the other side, Rosemey Jack Saint and Adani Mitchell. Adani Mitchell drew a couple pass interference penalties, didn't do much catching the ball. Rosemey Jack Saint, as we said, two catches, 12 yards. Lad McConkey looked like the best receiver to me with, with the 11 yards after the catch. Now, very small sample size, all right? Not going to panic, not going to overreact. But if we're evaluating this game, and that's what we're here to do, right? We're not here to have revisionist history. Uh, and Kirby made it very clear today. I'll say this. I'll say this for Kirby. You know, I tossed him a softball today at his press conference. We had our first in-person press conference since the Sugar Bowl. It was somewhat ironic, and I'll explain that later. But I said to Kirby, I said, you know, for the people that are looking at the stats and looking at the score, can you explain what JT Daniels went through? And Kirby basically said, look, we're not making any excuses. We're not going to talk about the weapons that weren't there. We got good enough players. They have to execute. And he gave an example of how Brock Bowers, who was the best pass catcher in the game, he had, what, four or five catches? I mean, what an amazing freshman he's going to be. But he says Brock Bowers misses a block. Uh, Adani Mitchell, uh, you know, misses a block and lines up in the wrong spot. And then uh, some Arian Smith lines up in the wrong spot. And you're just like, what a mess. You got two receivers lined up in the wrong spot and another guy missing a block. Well, yeah, the play's not going to work. You know, that shouldn't happen. That, that, sh this, that should not happen at this stage. You know, what is going on? 
in the coaching and the development part with this receiving core. I mean, every year we're talking about receivers that aren't doing the right things. And, and, and one of the things about this Todd Munkin offense when it comes to, you know, pro style spread and air raid concepts is guys have to be lined up precisely in the correct positions. And if that's not happening, then this can't work. So Munkin's either got to simplify or these receivers have got to be coached better. And there's got to be some accountability somewhere. I'm just going to say this. Kirby Smart, in my opinion, is one of these high IQ genius kind of guys. All right. He's got like Spurrier. You saw Spurrier last week and how he had recall of all these plays. Kirby's got that same sort of recall. These folks are like jet fighter pilots with their three-dimensional thinking and their recall and their ability to make quick and accurate decisions. All these coaches are, you know, that, that's what people forget. You know, when people are out here second guessing Kirby Smart and Dabble Sweeney, listen, we're talking about two of the three best coaches in the country. And the numbers back it up when you look at their winning percentages, by the way. So these are brilliant, genius kind of people. Football genius, but genius. But Kirby also never makes a movement, never says anything without cause. Everything he says has gone through that Kirby Smart filter. Everything. Even the cuss word after Auburn, okay? Everything he does. There's nothing that happens by accident with this guy. He intentionally named those players that lined up wrong. He intentionally talked about broken assignments. This is Kirby's way of putting people on notice. And, and it's effective. I think when people see, oh my gosh, coach said I did this or that. I think they wake up. I think they wake up. How about bringing, for example, a couple years ago, Malik Herring brought him to the Vanderbilt game, didn't play him. Wake up call for Malik Herring, different guy after that week. Now, I can't tell you that Arian Smith is going to line up in all the right places and Brock Bowers is never going to miss another block and uh, and, and Adani Mitchell is, is also going to be. I can't tell you that, all right? Arian Smith took time off to run track. That's hurting him right now. I'm going to say it. Nobody else is going to come around and say it like that. I'm going to say it like that. I hope the track season was worth it because, you know, it was costly against Clemson. You can say, well, that's what he signed up for. Okay. And I'm not saying it's wrong. Maybe you say, oh, well, that's fine, Mike. It's okay that he ran track. Okay, if you're fine with it, I'm fine with it. I'm just telling you, he took time away from football to run track. And now he's missing assignments. So you make your decision. Kirby Smart will make his decision. Maybe that was part of what you had to do to get Arian Smith. Maybe Arian Smith will make a different decision next offseason. You know, maybe not. But the reality of it is that the guy wasn't as good as he could have been. Sorry. Now, he'll get better as the year progresses. And, and, and that's kind of the another good news thing about this conversation that we're having. This was a one-game season in many respects. Seven months of buildup. Like I said, you had seven months of buildup. These coaches had seven months to game plan for one another. All this stuff about, well, we might just take a look at Clemson, you know, next last. Don't kid yourself. This game was so scouted. So much went into this game. Unbelievable amount of time. Now, they did work on themselves, and they did do a little bit on each team. But you better believe that this is the most scouted game that Georgia's played. You know, I can't even think. When's the last time you've had that much time to prepare? Probably Alabama. They probably put a ton of time into Alabama as well. But this game meant a lot. We're talking about recruiting repercussions. You're talking about bragging rights. Even Kirby talked about going into their backyard. He'd never said anything about that neutral site till after he beat them. But you better believe they knew they were playing in a stadium 
that Clemson frequents every year and wins the ACC. And that is a huge advantage that they had that familiarity and that comfort level. And every time they're in that stadium, they got a good vibe because they just always win in there. And Georgia had to turn that karma around. The fans, they were about even. It was just as loud when Clemson did something good as when Georgia did something good. That's according to Kirby Smart. He was on the field. I was there. It looked very even to me. I thought it was a great environment. I thought it had uh, uh, even more energy than the games at the neutral site in Jacksonville. You know, And I thought there was a great spirit between the Georgia and the Clemson fans. Um, two really classy fan bases. I thought they really got into it. I really, really enjoyed that game atmosphere. Um, you know, and that's the way it should be for a non-conference opener, not for an SEC game, but for a non-conference opener, that's what you want. Um, I, I can deal with that. I still would have rather see a home and home, but if you're going to go neutral site, that was, that was two great programs and, and it's exciting. And I'm already looking forward to when these teams meet again, what is it? 2024 in Atlanta, something like that. Looking forward to that again. And, and Dabo and Kirby, you know, there was kind of a, there's an, there's, there's, there's some tenseness between the two. I'll just say that not saying they don't respect each other. Uh, don't really know how well they know each other. Uh, but I do think that they recruit against each other a lot. You know, they probably not send each other Christmas cards or anything like that, but it's not like some brutal hatred. I think both of these teams uh, represented themselves well in the field. Things might've got a little chippy, but I thought it was a clean game and, um, you know, really just really impressed with Georgia. And as I said, that, that uh, resiliency they showed, Kirby talked about that. Um, some things were exposed. There were some things exposed for Georgia uh, that have to get better. If we're talking about a national championship, you know, if, if there's a bummer to me about this, if there's a downside to me about this game, it's, it's the negative Nancy's and the low football IQ people. And, and they're always out there. There's there's always going to be people that don't, you know, the lunatic fringe that doesn't know anything about football goes, oh, it's 10 to 3. These teams must not have very good offenses. Well, they, they have great defenses. And that was the tone of this game. Different games have different tones. And that was just, this, that was how this game went. I mean, it was a tightly contested, airtight, who's going to break first kind of game. Not all games are like that. Nobody, they weren't throwing it all over the yard. Both these teams, Georgia wasn't. You know, Clemson couldn't run it. And we told you that was going to happen last week, that they wouldn't be able to run it. I want to break down each position group. Uh, I want to tell you what I what grade I gave each one, what I think about the outlook for each one. Uh, but first, first, I'm going to take a break and I'm going to recognize our sponsor, Ingles. You know, one of the reasons why Ingles associates with Dog Nation and does this program is because they know the intensity that the fans have, the passion that the fans have and the success that the Georgia football program has. And uh, I'm sure somewhere Ingalls really thrilled to see. And these are really two Ingalls schools. I mean, there's Ingalls up there around Clemson, South Carolina, too. So big game for Ingalls. But this week, Ingalls favoring Dog Nation and the Georgia Bulldogs. Let's take a moment and remember Ingalls' contributions over this last challenging year and a half. It's in our hearts to feel for there's been ups and downs, turnarounds, good days and some bad. But we stand together for worse and for better. We'll always have your back. Open arms, heart to heart, hand in hand. Community strong. 
So let's dive right into the report card this week. And I'm not sure if you agree or disagree, but I start right out with a quarterback and I gave JT Daniels a B minus. I didn't think it was his best game for the Georgia Bulldogs. Obviously, I didn't think it was the worst either, though. I thought JT made a lot of really good decisions. You know, sometimes it's not what the quarterback does. It's what he doesn't do. And again, he avoided trouble. He kept the team ahead of the chains. He was only sacked once by a team that averaged three sacks, almost three sacks a game last year. That was impressive because Venables was doing all sorts of different things. As I said, they played coverage, but they picked their spots wisely. The fact that JT protected the football, that one pick, um, completed 22 of 30 passes. It's a high completion percentage. It's better than 67%. And 135 yards now. They were short passes because that's what Clemson was giving. Clemson, a very experienced defense, 11 starters back, very talented secondary. JT didn't give them the chance to make the pick six play that Georgia made against Clemson. Running backs, I gave them a B. Uh, I thought that was the most consistent offensive unit that said, uh, you know, there was room for improvement. Zamir ran inspired. Thought uh, that was as good as he looked, Uh, you know, showed some vision. Uh, Nice slide move in there, 74 yards on 13 carries, had a 22-yard burst that impressed me. But he fumbled twice, okay? Once the whistle blew, another time it didn't, and he fell on it. That's concerning, okay? I was surprised to see him out there on the last drive of the game. A lot of trust from Kirby Smart to give Zamir the ball, fourth quarter. But I think it's one of those home state hallmark moments for Zamir. Returns to his home state in North Carolina, gets to run out the clock, I think that's a highlight for Zamir White that he'll always remember. And um, I was also very impressed with Kendall Milton. He sent two guys to the injury tent. Let me tell you, Kendall Milton is going to be a problem for teams. The moose, as I call him, uh, turn the moose loose, as I say, because this guy is the next Georgia great, I predict. And we'll see. You know, you know, injuries happen. Other guys can step up. But Milton's burst and gallop, I mean, the guy is moving fast. It doesn't look like it. But you watch everybody else, and you'll see the way he can get those corners, and you see the vision that he has. I'm looking forward to Kendall evolving as the season progresses. It was a tough night for Kenny McIntosh running. Not much there in the cutback lanes, but he had one of the bigger plays in the game in the second half. It was about third and seven or eight. Kenny caught the ball, had to run for the first down, make the guy miss, and go through a tackle. Uh, Only one kick return from Kenny, 25 yards, point break. Um, I think you're going to see him do more dazzling things on kick returns before the season's over with. And I think you'll see him get more involved in the pass game. You know, James Cook had a lot of touches. Uh, He caught all four targets, but didn't really do anything special with the ball. I was a little surprised we didn't see Cook do a little bit more. He didn't have much help. Again, those receivers, I gave him a D, really poor on the perimeter block. Not all of them, but there was some big missed blocks. Jermaine Burton missed some big blocks out there. You heard Kirby mention some uh, missed alignments and a a missed block from Brock Bowers in that that tight end position. Bowers with uh, six catches for 43 yards as an H-back. I mean, that position has got to get better. I think Dominic Blaylock is going to be back very soon. Um, I don't know if it's going to be next week or the week after, but Kirby said it's a field thing. He's cleared right now. He's working with a scout team offense. Not sure when they – I think he could provide a really big lift. And we'll see. We'll see. Don't want to – Rush it. They did that last year and he got re-injured. But I think Blaylock, close to being ready, it's been more than 12 months. I mean, he could be just the spark that they need. Burton, obviously, not in game shape, according to Kirby Smart. His word's not mine. If Burton's not in game shape. Kyrus Jackson, you saw him returning punts, but they didn't feel good about the knee, good enough about the knee to put him in the slot. They say there's too much lateral movement, so you don't know what's going on with Kyrus. They're telling you Burton's not in game shape. 
you know, and, and without those two guys, who's your leading returning receiver? I'll tell you who it is. John Fitzpatrick, the tight end. What do you have, six catches, eight catches last year? And he's got a foot injury. So you're talking about a very green receiving core that JT Daniels is thrown to. I'm going to say this, too. A lot of people are questioning JT Daniels. Let me tell you something. All you got to do is look at Friday night's box score from North Carolina and Virginia Tech. Sam Howell is the number two rated quarterback in this draft class. He's a big deal. And Carolina's really good. But Carolina, like Georgia, is missing some of the weapons that they've had. You know what Sam Howell did against Virginia Tech? Not Clemson, Virginia Tech. He had three interceptions and he was sacked six times. At quarterback, you are only as good as your supporting cast. You saw it with Jake Fromm when he dropped off in 2019, from 2018 when all his receivers went to the NFL. And you're going to see JT Daniels uh, you know, have issues with explosive plays until you get explosive players. I tried to say before the season, I had some people argue, even on the Dog Nation team, I tried to say, this isn't LSU's receiving core. This isn't Alabama's receiving core. This isn't even 2018 Georgia receiving core. Lad McConkey, Marcus Rosemary, Jack Saint, Adani Mitchell, these poor guys. I, what they have two, what, I don't even know how many catches. Lad McConkey never even caught a ball. You know, Donnie Mitchell's a true freshman. These are the guys you are going with against Clemson, a team returning 11 starters on defense. So, yeah, the numbers aren't going to be great. D receiver, D grade for the receivers. Uh, offensive line, I gave them C. It was a tough assignment, but there was some missed blocks. Kirby said there was missed assignments. Really impressed, though. Cedric Van Pran, a big shout-out to the freshman, goes out there, handles those center duties. Remarkable job. Jamari Saylor, nice job at left tackle. He did have one penalty, illegal downfield. Justin Schaefer, very costly holding penalty, negated a pass interference that would have put Georgia on the doorstep of scoring a touchdown. That was a critical, critical mistake. Schaefer also had a false start. If Tate Ratlich hadn't gotten injured, I think Schaefer would have been the guy moved out when Salyer moves in from tackle to guard. And that's coming because Kirby said today, Broderick Jones is ready to go at left tackle. Defensive line, A+. plus. That, that was one of the most dominant defensive line performances you're ever going to see. And I know it's Clemson, and Clemson's offensive line has questions, but it's still Clemson. Clemson on a bad day is better than 90% of the teams in college football. That defensive line... Jordan Davis, Trayvon Walker, Jalen Carter, uh, Nolan Smith, Devontae Wyatt. Unbelievable. These guys are going to be in the NFL. I mean, these, these guys were just unbelievable. Can't say enough about it. Linebacker play, that, that impressed as well. N'Kobe Dean was all over. Now, N'Kobe missed an open field tackle that enabled uh, a Clemson to sustain a, 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 for a, a drive. And Nicobe also had a, uh, I believe he had a pass interference penalty that, that helped sustain the drive. So uh, it wasn't a perfect night for Nicobe Dean, but he also had two sacks and did a lot of great things. I thought the communication was great. It looked like the alignment was good. Now, Kirby said there were some broken assignments that Georgia could have been exposed on that Clemson didn't catch. And maybe my naked eye didn't catch it either. But I thought Nicobe Dean played a pretty good football game. Quay Walker, very aggressive, Channing Tindell. Uh, these guys got it done in the open field. To me, this game was going to boil down to who could get it done uh, in the open field because Clemson, was, Clemson wasn't moving it up the middle. They were going to have to get it on the perimeter, and that was going to force Georgia to make some plays on the perimeter in space. And Georgia's linebackers absolutely beat Clemson's running backs and, and receivers after the catch. So some really great open field tackling. 
uh, by the Georgia Bulldogs. You got to give Kirby Smart credit. This team was prepared. Uh, I'll say it again. You've got to give Kirby Smart credit. For some reason, the national media does not want to give Kirby Smart credit. It's time for the national media to give Kirby Smart credit. The same guy that wrote Georgia was the biggest underachievers and talks about how great the Northwestern coach is, even though he just got beat by Michigan State. Listen, the national merit narrative needs to back off and get it right. I don't know what problem they've got with Kirby or what, how convenient the angle is that Georgia can't do it because they haven't beat Alabama. Listen, they need to get off it. I don't think they will. I think they're going to tell you now, well, look at what Alabama, oh, Alabama scored all these points against Miami. Oh, Miami. Oh, oh big deal. Miami's not Clemson, number one. Number two, did you see the Alabama quarterback get hit? If Bryce Young continues to expose himself to those sort of hits, he ain't going to be around when Georgia plays him at the end of the year. Mark my words on that. That's the one thing about these mobile quarterbacks. Everybody wants one until they get hurt, and they do get hurt. Why? Because they expose themselves to more hit. Now, Bryce Young is an athletic guy and a fast guy, but I had someone in California tell me this. They pulled me aside, and I'm not going to say who, I'm not going to say where, but you folks know I spent a week out there talking to some very important and very knowledgeable people with California high school football. They pulled me aside, and they said this. They said, Mike, Bryce Young is a great player, but he's not Kyler Murray. He's not going to be that guy. Now, I'm, I'm, now were they wrong? I don't know. We're going to wait and see. If they were wrong, we're going to wait and see. Bryce Young may prove everybody wrong, but based on the little bit that I saw, I'm not sure that guy's going to be around. And, and I don't wish that on anybody. I'm just saying when you're a mobile, if you try to do that in the SEC, hey, they caught up to Tua. Tua didn't make it. Even the great Tim Tebow at some point, you know, you expose yourself to hits in the SEC, you're rolling the dice, man. And I'm just not sure about this Alabama. They look great. Look great against Miami. But it's a, it's a what, 12-game season? It's a long season. A lot can happen between now and then. So – even though right now you're looking at it and going, oh, well, geez, Alabama sure does look better. Look, Georgia is going to get better. We're going to see Dominic Blaylock come back. We're going to see Karis Jackson get healthy enough to play in the slot. We're going to see uh, Washington at tight end, impact player. I think now we're going to see George Pickens at some point. I don't know when, but you're going to see that. Georgia is going to be a program that gets better and better and better and better as the year progresses. That's what the table is set for. I really like Kirby Smart's measured approach, right? The celebration was great Saturday, but after the film study on Sunday, Kirby said, we didn't execute up to our standards. He said, look, guys, you beat, you got the result, but you didn't execute up to our standard. Love Kirby's approach. I, I just, the guy just has a drive and a standard, championship standard, and he doesn't apologize. I mean, he said to me during the question, don't make excuses. Don't, don't make excuses for me or JT or Todd Munkin. I mean, he literally said that. He said, we don't want that pity. He's wearing it. He wants to wear the fact that they didn't score an offensive touchdown. He wants to wear that. He wants to own that. And that, that level of accountability, that realism – that gives you a chance. That's not a coach BSing you, whistling by the graveyard. Hey, we won. Don't worry about it. No, Kirby's worried about it just like you. And, and that approach is what's going to enable Georgia to get better and better and better and better. And as I said before, it's not for everyone. 
Georgia is not for everyone. This program is run in a way that not every kid can handle. And Kirby said it. Some of these kids now, they want to play right now and, and play right now or show me the door. And he brought that up when we brought up a guy like Latavius Greeny and a guy like Amir Speed. These guys could have transferred out. They stuck it out. They were journeymen. They weren't even they weren't even supposed to start this year, but things went wrong and here they are. And Brini, big step up performance. Not saying he was perfect. And Kirby said that him and Chris Smith weren't perfect, but boy, they made some plays. And these are guys that have been sitting and waiting a long time to play. And this is the way it's supposed to work. A guy wait, but it doesn't always work this way. You see that with these receivers, right? You know, all these receivers that transferred out. You're wondering, why? Well, how is Mike? You're talking about these receivers a second ago. They don't got anybody. To play. Yeah, because, you know, uh, D-Rob took the ball and went to Auburn because he, he didn't he didn't think he was going to start. So he bolted, you know, uh, and you had the Matt you know, guy transfers up to what up somewhere Toledo. You know, this these the guys didn't develop. So they split. Now, why didn't they develop? That's for Kirby to decide. Right. That's for Kirby to figure out why all these receivers busted and left school. Well, they had like five receivers transfer out in last year that just didn't pan out, okay, that's either you didn't scout well enough or you didn't develop them well enough, but something went really bad wrong in the receiver room for all those guys to leave because you should have juniors and seniors or sophomores and juniors that are experienced, but you don't because they left because Georgia said, hey, these guys coming in are better. Well, we're waiting on Jermaine Burton to be better. And, and, it's, it, and again, you, you call out the name because so much has gone into All we heard from Terrence Edwards, how great Jermaine Burton was. We saw it one night. Got to keep the kid healthy. Got to see him step up. You got to. You have to. He's literally going to be your most talented receiver. You got to hope he gets himself in shape. Like Kirby said, he's not in football shape. That's big. You got to have him. Even if Blaylock comes back, even if it, you got to have a healthy Jermaine Burton to be at your best. You have to. It's not just him. There's other guys that have to get better too. You know, Kirby pointed out on defense, there were some eyes in the wrong place. That's secondary. That's scary. There was a lot of pass interference penalties. I mean, Speed and Darren Kendrick, uh, you know, Keely Ringo. I mean, Keely just like tackles people. I mean, at least he earns the flag, right? It's like one of those guys are going to foul somebody. You earn your money. Keely Ringo gets his money's worth on his pass interference penalties. I think Kirby would prepare if he didn't get any at all. But a young guy that's playing himself into shape, playing himself into playing in, into uh, the experience that he needs, you're going to see the growing pains. And again, here's the great news. For all we've talked about, for all the critical analysis that we've provided, this is a program that's going to get better and has an easier schedule ahead. Now, Kirby said, no, UAB is a good team, and I know you guys aren't going to believe me. Uh, look, good is a relative term, okay? Good is in maybe they can stay within three touchdowns of Georgia, right? Georgia should pound this team. They are good. They're proud. They're not going to beat themselves. Oh, they're capable of upsetting you if you go out there and turn the ball over and fall down all over the field. But that's not – Kirby's not going to let that happen. I'm just telling you. Now, the final news, the COVID scare, okay? This is real. Kirby says it's spiking right now. He said there were three or four players. He said there were a couple staff members that have it. You look at the stats, Athens-Clark County, it's like 22% vaccinated, 22%. And of the cases in Athens-Clark County right now, uh, I want to say 30 – what is it, more than half? I'm trying to think of the percentage. A lot of them are, are college students. A lot of the COVID cases are college students. It's doubled. The number of college students with COVID in Athens, Athens Clark County has doubled in the last week. This is a tough time, okay? It's a tough time. Nobody likes the COVID talk. Uh, there's, there's no provisions at the stadium. 
This is a crazy tough time. And of all days for them to have their first media in person, it was today when Kirby says the COVID spiking in the building. So it was it, it's strange times. I hope everyone uh, takes really good care of themselves. I want to take a look at the comments. Only got a few minutes left here. Uh, what do you guys got for me? If you've got any questions, I see the comments lighten up. I know Georgia fans are fired up. You know, they're going to pound UAB next week. They're going to beat South Carolina, probably even worse. Uh, th this team is going to roll. They're not going to lose in the regular season, okay? The one program out there that can beat them is Alabama. That's what I learned. That's the one program that can beat them, and I'm not sure Bryce Young is going to be around by the end of the year if he continues to expose himself to hit. Uh, Maya says, keep the players away from the student base. They are in class taking classes right now. Please, uh, what did you say? Uh, please quit referring our dogs to get a chance to beat Bama. Let's enjoy every game. I, I do enjoy writing about every game. I enjoy covering every game. But the reality is George is at a place right now where people are aiming for a national championship and the measuring stick is Alabama. That's the reality of this, okay? That's the national narrative, all right? You're so good, that's where you're at. Now, if you want to be another SEC program and enjoy beating a 1AA and, oh, gosh, look at that. You know, we beat up on uh, nobody uh, state university that nobody's ever heard of. I mean, Eastern Illinois, who, who's that? You know, like, you know, and Dabo said it, you know, for all the people that are, you know, moaning and groaning, almost use a different word, moaning and groaning. Well, maybe we should just play the nobody team and score a lot of points and everybody be happy. The reality is by playing Clemson, Georgia ex uh, got exposed in areas where now they know what to work on. What about Ohio State? What a joke. I mean, weren't they trailing Minnesota in the third quarter? I mean, Minnesota? And by the way, Ohio State lost 10 players to the NFL draft. Uh, Alabama did two. Georgia lost nine. So there's a lot of a lot of programs out there. You know, people were talking about how great Oklahoma was, and they barely, barely beat Tulane, if you can believe that. So, uh, hey, I'm going to call this a night. Tomorrow, Connor and coverage is going to hit you hard. With his show, Wednesday night, you have Centel's Intel between the edges. Uh, every day, Dog Nation Daily with Brandon Adams. Of course, you know I'm on there with Brandon on Wednesdays. Uh, you'll be able to catch me tomorrow uh, tomorrow morning on uh, 92.9 in Atlanta. I'll be doing a, about 8.20 a.m. slot. They're going to ask me all sorts of fun questions about this game. You can catch me Thursday, 9.30 in the morning on Sirius XM Radio, SEC Now, and Thursday, 5.15 p.m. on the Paul Feinbaum Show. I'll be uh, I'll have my sport coat and tie on. I'm sure Paul Feinbaum is going to ask me all sorts of aggressive questions because that's what he does. Um, you know, and, and I'm going to continue to ask aggressive questions at these press conferences. We'll have a lot of stories, tons of coverage. If you haven't read everything on DogNation.com, please do, because I've spent the weekend writing it. And uh, it was a glorious football game to cover and watch. Fantastic. Win, lose or draw. You just don't have many events like that. If you were there, congratulations. If you were not and you watched it, also one of those memorable games. Christopher Smith loved that storyline. Came in last year when the count got hurt, wasn't really ready. Like the guy that got sand kicked in his face, went back in the offseason, got big, got massive, and made a huge play to beat Clemson. 10 to 3, knockdown, drag out, Devil Sweeney called it a fist fight, and the dogs won. And uh, that's going to be a wrap for me. Everybody have a wonderful and safe week. We will be talking again very soon.